Hey, guys. Huh. Check this out. And welcome to Check This Out, a podcast where we take an analytical view of the media that appeals to us as individuals and why. I am L, your host, and with me today is special guest and arch nemesis of the show, Jeremy. It's um, always my favorite title. <laughs> uh, it, not like you really need to at this point, but if you could introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. Yes, uh, my name is Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Thomas. I am the head editor for 411mania.com, a pop culture news site that covers wrestling, television, movies, uh, video games, MMA. Uh, we covered music once upon a time. We really don't anymore. Uh, and just a general, uh, your general garden variety geek. Um, loves horror, uh, uh, movies, uh, all of the stuff that I mentioned, uh, comics, so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you do still cover music a bit, but uh, it is unfortunately these days whenever someone dies. This is true. That's about it. Or if there's uh, a, a crossover with wrestling somehow. A lot of Fozzie news. Yeah, or if the Beatles somehow release a new album from Beyond the Grave. Yep, exactly. Which would be very interesting. It I'm would. Not, like, I'm not talking like, oh, we put together these samples in a new way. No, like they all came back and did a new recording session. We don't know how. Yep. We're a little afraid. <laughs> That's uh, time to run because uh, as as Night of the Living Dead, or actually I think it's Dawn of the Dead, says uh, 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 there is no more room in hell, so the dead walk the earth. And as we all know, there's... At time of recording, only the one living beetle. Yes. Yeah, because uh, obviously everyone knows John got shot, George yep. died. Uh, Paul died in the 60s and was replaced by a fake. But does Ringo even count as a beetle? Like, really? Uh, well, I mean, they're not getting Pete Best anytime soon. All again. right, fair enough. Yeah. Come at me, Ringo fans. <laughs> Not even your real name, <laughs> Richard Starkey, my ass. Um, now, you're bringing something to the table that you enjoy and are passionate about. Uh, could you talk a bit about it in your own words? Yes, I am this 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 go around. I am bringing the fall of the House of Usher, specifically the Netflix series that released in October of this year. Um, this year being 2023, uh, from Mike Flanagan, uh, who is a, uh, fantastic writer or, or, uh, television and filmmaker who, who works primarily in the horror uh, subgenre. Hmm. Important to make sure we're clear on the, the year and everything that this is coming out, because when this is the last surviving remnant of civilization in the ruins of like the house of Congress or whatever. Right. Like, yeah. Context. 
Context. Context is important. Oh, so this was like three months before the big war. Oh. <laughs> Maybe that's a bit too on the nose. But I was going to say, I was going to say a bit optimistic there, are you? Um, yeah, I figured they'd probably just roll it all into one in the Fair in the enough. That's fair. So I mean, like, yeah, you you know the format of the show. So if yes. I've got my I've got my list of questions. Yep. Yeah. Bring them on. Question one: Imagine I was someone who's recently been awoken from a coma, resurrected from being frozen in ice, or even an inanimate object gifted knowledge of modern times and sentience. Essentially, I know what media is, but have never experienced anything for myself. How would you explain the fall of the House of Usher without comparing it to something that I wouldn't know? Oh my. All right. So at its core, the fall of the House of Usher is a, a television series on Netflix. Um, that is, again, from Mike Flanagan. That is a... Uh, how, to, how, how to say this without saying... We'll have to go into what 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 the original fall of the house of the usher is which is fine um it is a loose adaptation of the framework of the edgar Allan poe 1840 short story the fall of the house of usher but it also remixes in a number a large large number of of poe's stories and poems and uh, other narrative works. Um, it is talking specifically about the show itself. It is set in the current day, and it focuses on a, a family, the Usher family, uh, who are the head of a pharmaceutical company. And this is... I know this is going to sound like a spoiler, but I promise that it's not because you find this out literally two minutes and 30 seconds into the first of the eight episodes. So um, spoiler warning if you haven't seen the first two minutes. Correct. Um, the The family is uh, uh, the head of the pharmaceutical, uh, pharmaceutical company. Um, that is under indictment for its contributions to the opioid epidemic. Um, and you learn again within two minutes and 30 seconds of the first episode that all six of the, the, the head of the family, Roderick Usher's uh, children, adult children, uh, have died within the last week plus. In strange circumstances, um, some of them, some of them are weird, bizarre accidents. Uh, there is uh, a couple suicides, uh, a murder suicide, um, strange things that could not possibly be connected. And in that first episode, the head of the family, Roderick. Uh, summons the, the, the U.S. attorney who is prosecuting them, uh, a man named uh, August Dupin, uh, uh, to 
his original house to essentially confess to everything and explain why he is responsible for all of his children's deaths. And then from there, the show flashes back and forth from his conversations with Dupin uh, to early on in Roderick's life with him and his, his sister, Madeline, as they become the heads of this, you know, titans of industry. And then that very fateful week just before where everybody was dying. Uh, along the way, the story touches on a number of Poe's stories and works, as I said, and is basically a story about a lot of uh, a lot of themes that Flanagan loves. Things like uh, dysfunctional families with really complicated dynamics, uh, being unable to escape the ghosts of your past, uh, uh, of mental health, uh, uh, capitalist greed, uh, exploitation. Um, in terms of men exploiting men, not exploitation is in the genre. Yeah. Um, and there are supernatural elements to it. There is a mysterious woman named Verna who is somehow connected to all of this. And we learn a little bit more about that from, uh, as, as the story goes on and he continues to tell, uh, uh, August everything. Um, and she is, is she responsible for all of these deaths? Um, what is, what is her connection to Roderick and Madeline? Uh, who or what exactly is she? Uh, because she ends up popping up at all of the death scenes just before she, ha they, they happen, but she's not actually doing the killing. Hmm. And so throughout all this, it becomes, in a way, a mystery, but it's really more sort of an exploration of this really fucked up family that, that hits on some very hot button current issues. And also just explores the, 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 the rise and fall of this exceptionally powerful family which makes it both interesting and as a character study standpoint and in that sort of cathartic way i guess it is almost is in that you get to see these really awful horrible people who the ushers are almost without exception uh completely fall apart and 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 all meet their ends. Yeah, see this is I I don't know if it's the same inspiration, but there's a manga series that I read and it sounds like it's almost exactly the same. But okay. I, I have no idea if it's like they've just managed to you know, adhere to the same sort of stories or if it was right. like a direct inspiration. Uh, right. Sh uh, Shini Aruki or Walk to Death. Walk to, walk to Death? 
walk to death. S H I N I A R U K I. The synopsis A wealthy man meets an unnatural end. With his death, the family joins together to grieve, only to become suspects of a police investigation as to whether or not he was murdered. Their primary suspect, the adopted daughter of the family, and first to discover the body, the girl who shows no distress at the father's death. And as all suspicions point to her, the second unnatural death occurs. But it's always been this way. Wherever the daughter goes, people tend to die. And yeah, I, it's almost like a mirrored version of like the synopsis. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, maybe it was inspired by Poe originally as well. But it's like, maybe they just have that common theme in the, you know, the cultural zeitgeist. Yes. The, uh, the unconscious collective of humanity. Absolutely. And I should say, so the the series is, well, like I said, it remixes and sort of mashes up and references a lot of Poe's work. While it most closely follows Follow the House of Usher, it is, even in that, a loose adaptation. So Follow the House of Usher is, to to give a little background on on this, and before I start, I am hardly a scholar on Poe. I am a fan of his work, but I have not done any, you know, essays on his, at least not since, like, junior high school. Um, uh, so there's stuff I'm going to say here that, 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 that I will probably get wrong. I apologize to all post scholars out there. Um, I imagine, uh, Mara will be, will, will be screaming at me, at at me if if she's listening to this at any point. Um, but fellow enemy of the show. Yes. Fellow enemy of the show. Uh, so Follow the House of Usher, this short story, is it is probably one of the better examples of, of Poe's use of what he called unity of effect or totality, which is essentially more or less that as a writer, you should decide what you're doing and use every piece and element of the story uh, in a way that is both important and cohesive in leading to the effect that you're trying to achieve. The themes, the mood, the narrative, so on and so forth. Um, Usher, the, 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 the short story, is what we, what we now call gothic fiction. And it tells a story that deals with mental health, uh, family, and there's a lot of things of like isolation and the like in it. It's about, and some of this will be very similar based on the, based on the, the, how I just described the, the, the show, but it's about a man named Roderick Usher who calls for this friend to meet him in his family's home, which is a very grand, very, um, a very wealthy but decaying house um, that he shares with the last of his family, which is his sister, Madeline. Uh, the friend learns that, to cut it short, all isn't well there. And as the story goes on, things progress worse and worse. 
and you find out exactly how falling apart Roderick is. And at the end, the house itself falls apart. And so it's basically about the downfall of the House of Usher, meaning the Usher family, linked with the physical House of Usher to sort of combine those two in a thematic sense. So the, the, the series deals with a lot of that thing stuff and uses those same elements. Roderick Usher is the head of the house. His his sister, who's who's very integral part of the story, and is one of the main characters, is named Madeline, and they're they're very much a unit, and uh, and they sort of cause the downfall of their family. Um, but yeah, that that that's sort of the basis of it, uh, and then. Along the way, if I if I if I just sat here and referenced every short story, poem, etc., that that it did, that would cover almost all all, all the podcasts, and we'd be done there. But just a few examples. Uh, it references obviously Fallout House of Usher. It references the Casco of Montiato, uh, the Raven, Annabelle Lee, Telltale Heart. The bug, or gold bug, sorry. Uh, Black cat, mask of the red death, murders in the room morgue. So on, even some of like his probably ones that who somebody who is just a casual Poe fan might not be as familiar with, like uh, premature burial or the spectacles, never bet the devil your head, uh, a Tamerlane, uh, a Metzengerstein, so on and so forth. Uh, it's, it's very, it works. What, one of the things that I appreciate about it is it works on both levels, whether you are a big fan of Poe or whether you're not. Um, in fact, I would argue it almost works better if you are casually familiar with him. Because if you are, if you are deeply, deeply familiar with him, some of the, just your knowledge of the stories will spoil some of the deaths. Um, cause he kind of follows the basic, the, some of the, some of the dressings of, of the stories. Um, but even that being the case, me being fairly familiar with Poe myself, uh, I, I, I think there's still a lot to enjoy there to the point that, like I said, this released in October, this released two months ago. I've watched that, I think, three, maybe four times now, all the way through. And, I mean, the like each person's spoiler tolerance could affect that as well. Absolutely. Like, if you are somebody who doesn't want to be, have anything to, to uh, reveal about, about something, and again, you're very, very familiar with Poe, some of this stuff is telegraphed a little bit. Um if it doesn't matter to you, then you're going to be, you're, you're going to be in for, for a great time. And honestly, I do feel like, again, there's enough here in terms of the performances in terms of he does Flanagan does mix it up uh, a, a decent amount that 
there's still enough interesting stuff narratively going on here. Like, this is going to shock you to know, but Poe really didn't get into the 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 the. 2000s opioid epidemic much in his writing so how dare you right how is that how dare he not be uh uh, prescient to almost 200 years after 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 his works were done um but she doesn't even have an opinion on the state of american politics that bastard i bet he doesn't even care about twitter oh the nerve right ban just condemn this man into the ground (laughs) wait wait a minute let me leave that one (laughs) (laughs) too late what's the thing you hook his body up to a a generator so you can just have free electricity yes there you go as it just spins yeah and then you can literally spin in his grave yeah you just every now and then you just got to read a newspaper to the corpse. <laughs> that would do it. But I do guess it for me at least. On the, as I wait for a plane to go overhead, and I'll do that again. <laughs> you know, come on when you when you're ready, right, brothers? Jeez. <laughs> Still waiting. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not a, not a modern plane, I'll tell you that much. In fairness, if it helps, I can't hear it at this point. I but I could see the mic was picking it up. I'm like, uh, okay, fair. That's fair. So yeah, going by like your descriptions of even now the like the original work. I would definitely, personally, to you, recommend the Walk to Death manga series. It's four volumes. Yeah. It, it is going to be your jam, I believe. I will definitely check it out. I've already got it written down as something to watch or read. Because mm. the a little bit on a tangent, because why not on this show? Uh, the Us same... tangent? I, I know. You right? and me? Never. You know, first time for everything. Let's admit it. Yep. Uh, The same uh, creator made another series that I think is still going. I'm not 100%, uh, which is uh, Laya Utsotsky, I think it's called. Let me um, bring that up because it's similar, but also like completely different. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's a, a high school girl, because it's always high school girls. Of, uh, of course. Can see the body of people like 24 hours before they die. So it has to not only try and convince people that it's a danger, but uh, that she can actually do something about it. Okay. Well, and what's what's this one called? Uh Usotsuki Satsuki Shiga Mieru. Usotsuki Atsuki Mio. Uso T S U K I. Yes. Satsuki S A T. Satsuki. Okay. Shiga Mieru. M I E R U. Yep. I think it's Laya Satsuki Sees Death. 
And yep, yeah, I see it now. It's the same same creator. They do a crossover at one point in like a non-canon event, mm-hmm. and it's like, I'm, yeah, that's a good one as well. Nice. I am glad to know that I still am just fluent enough in Japanese to recognize a few things. So the second you said like she, I'm like, okay, death is in that title somewhere. Um, and I was able to phonetically type it out. Mm. So yay. Three years of high of Japanese in high school. <laughs> but yeah, it's like who would ever believe that it's like, Oh, you're going to die tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Pff, I've got a bridge to sell you. I like it. But yeah, it's like, if you get into that, that's the next recommendation. Okay. And I will note, definitely yeah. check those out. <laughs> I like the show. They like it when yeah, you Yeah, like the right. show. Yeah, they love it when you point at the sign. Yes, they do. Uh, question two. Yes. Uh, at uh, 25 minutes in. At 25 minutes in. We're, 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 <laughs> can we break the record? Without trying, to be fair, because if we yes, did try, try we could absolutely break the record if we wanted to. Yeah. Uh, question two. Hypothetically, our positions are reversed, and I'm guesting on your immensely popular and award-winning podcast. And I've just answered the previous question with your response verbatim. What stood out to you the most, if you can remember any of it? Um, I would, I mean... There's a lot in there. Here's the thing. This show is like it's fucking built for me because I love Mike Flanagan. That would instantly stick out. Um, I love Edgar Allan Poe's works. Um, and I love a good... I love stories that can adapt the material but do it in a way that's interesting. So like remixing that stuff, it's like it's like when it works, and I realize that it doesn't work for everybody, it's like when the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff works. It's remixing and, and adapting the material in very different ways. Um, you know, Civil War is not... Captain America Civil War is not by any stretch of the imagination, a direct adaptation of the original Civil War comic. Thank the gods. Um, so I've heard, yeah. I, listen, that would be a whole other tangent. But um, the point being is that when you can make that adaptation and make it work, that is instantly appealing to me because one of the big problems with Poe's work, and I say this as somebody who has watched almost all of the Roger Corman Poe movies, the ones that he did with uh, Vincent Price, uh, which are uh, like Masquerade of the Red Death or Mask of the Red Death, uh, um, uh, Pit and the Pendulum. Um, they, they did a number of those. And and there have been a number of other, obviously, adaptations of Poe's works. Um, he is really hard to adapt to, to, to the screen because of his... It's the same thing with, like, Lovecraft, right? Only with marginally less racism, um, where those stories, 
the time that they were written, they are timeless stories, but bringing them to a modern, different format is very difficult. And so if you were able to do that in an interesting way, uh, I am fucking in. Uh, and the rest of it is all all appealing to me as well. Uh, the themes are all very interesting. I didn't even get into this, but the cast is to fucking die for. Um, like I, I remember to give you some perspective of, of, of how much this appealed, this would appeal to me based on how I described it. Uh, I got the, I was fortunate enough to have the chance to review this show, um, when it screened its first couple episodes at Fantastic Fest, which is a genre festival in Austin, Texas. I was doing it online, obviously. I didn't travel to Austin. But I got the chance to, to, to screen. It was one of the offerings. And I read that. I was already familiar that it was in, in, in production. But I didn't know a ton about it. Because pandemic happened. And there wasn't a lot of new information coming out. And blah, 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 blah. But... I when when you see festival lineups, you will get the director, the cast list, um, and this and a synopsis that is done to make it sound appealing. It's not just the straight synopsis. It's sort of a uh, the festival does a write up that that tells you um, it's trying to entice people who are going to the festival to see it. Right. So I read this thing, and it basically covered a, lo- a lot of what I, what I've discussed. Um, and it instantly, and there were a lot of stuff that I was looking at, looking to potentially, uh, uh, cover out of that festival. It instantly shot to the number one thing on my list to the point that when I got the email with the screeners, I was, I, I, I had sort of scheduled out what I was going to screen that night. I set it all aside. I sat down and I spent, I don't think I'd slept that night. I think I, I watched all eight episodes in, in succession. So basically, what would appeal to me about this? Everything. It's just like if someone came up to you with, the, please, please give us the wish list of what you would want. And 100%. This was the result. Yep. Absolutely. It was, and I, so Mike Flanagan, if people are, are, are not familiar with him, he is responsible for a number of popular Netflix series, uh, horror, horror series. Um, he did The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, Midnight Mass, uh, and The Midnight Club, um, which are, I, I, I adore three of those shows, and I like the fourth one. I like Midnight Club. I don't love it. Definitely. He also did... At least did, one that I know of. Huh? It's at least one that I know of. Yeah, fair. <laughs> um, he's also done a number of movies, all of which I either like or love. He did uh, Oculus, which is a, a supernatural horror film about a cursed mirror. Um, he did uh, a Doctor Sleep, which is the adaptation of the Stephen King sequel for The Shining. He did Hush, which is a home invasion thriller about a deaf woman whose house is broken into. Um, he did Absentia, which is the one of him, his that I actually haven't seen. Uh, it's his first story. Uh, he's done, an, uh, there's one more that I'm not thinking of his. 
Um, uh, one more movie. Oh, uh, 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 Ouija Origin of Evil, which is the good Ouija movie. Um, it was after the, after the original Ouija movie came out and was awful. It was successful enough that they commissioned a prequel and the whole world was like, we don't need this. And then Mike Flanagan made it and was like, all right, fine. Yeah. We'll uh, like it. As opposed to the other Ouija movie that I'm thinking of, which is Ouija Shark, which is a masterpiece. Which is, I am certain, a masterpiece in its own right. Oh, he also did Gerald's Game, uh, which is, uh, another, again, an adaptation of a Stephen King uh, 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 a novel. And his next work um, is, uh, uh, what is it called? Um, the Life of Chuck, which is another Stephen King adaptation. Uh, but anyways, he tends to work with the same cast or or uh, he has a regular group of people that he loves to work with. Uh, very Danny Elf or not a Danny Elfman. Um, Tim Burton. Thank you. Tim Burton or Ryan Murphy of him, um, which I know a lot of people hate when people do that. I love it because they get you tend to get your best performances out of the people that you know you, that 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 know you trust you and, and are willing to take those risks and he has an ever increasing cast of of really great actors that tend to work with him including uh his wife Kate Siegel uh who's been in just about everything he's been in uh Henry Thomas um, uh, 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 Carla Gugino, uh, I always mispronounce her name, uh, Gugino, Gugino, um, from Sin City and uh, a number of other, uh, 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 great shows. Um, uh, Rahul Kohli from, from iZombie, uh, Samantha Sloyan, who is from, I believe, Grey's Anatomy. I don't watch it, but. But I believe that's where she, uh, she's from, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Like he tends to use a lot of the same cast, and he does so because they're really good, and they're fantastic here. And yeah, once you have that rapport with someone like that, you know how to squeeze enough juice out, almost. Exactly, and you are like. There's a lot to be said for, and again, I know people are like, oh, do we really need another Lino DiCaprio movie from Martin Scorsese? Or do we need another uh, Johnny Depp, Helena Bonham Carter film from Tim Burton? Does Rob Zombie need to cast his wife in another goddamn movie? That sort of stuff. But there's a reason why they do this. And it's not just because, A, it's your friend, you know, you're my friend or you're my wife, I'm going to put you in a movie, or, or husband. Um, it's because it's really, and it's really kind of un, uh, 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 undersold a lot, how much when you're going into that level of a creative endeavor, you need to be able to trust the people that you work with. And you need to have a good relationship with them. Sure, when there are... There, you don't absolutely need that to get great performances. 
there are all the stories of of um, Stanley Kubrick and the things he did to his actors, or Alfred Hitchcock, and the thing he did to his actors. Usually, in most cases, with both of them, they're actresses because you know they wouldn't give the guys the same level of shit. Hmm, but why? Old yeah, I wonder why. Um, and don't get me wrong, they they got great performances out of them. But that's few and far between and frankly doesn't excuse the terrible shit they did to him. But when you feel safe to take creative risks as opposed to someone driving you to the point that you're just actually feeling that level of anger or fear or, or anxiety or whatever it is, it's going to pay off. And it's going to pay off probably more often than the other way. Um, and he has, particularly for this show, it's almost like it's the best of the people that he's worked with. It is an absolute murderer's row of talent. Um, all of the people that I mentioned, I think this is Bruce Greenwood's first time. He plays Roger Cusher. Uh, Bruce Greenwood, you probably remember as, oh, God. Um, Every stoic, generally, a lot of military men, um, a lot of um, uh, uh, presidential types. I think he's played John Kennedy before. Um, he was he was Christopher Pike in the Star Trek reboot. Uh, uh, so I'm playing very much against type here. Um, I, Mary I McDonald. Assume... I assume you say uh, that we might remember the the royal way, not me specifically. Yes. Uh, <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, I know. Yes. Uh, uh, in general, might remember. Um, he's got uh, uh, Mark Hamill is in this again, playing way against type. Now, don't get me wrong. Mark Hamill plays plays villains before. One that I can think of, uh, namely the Joker. And he did that great. But generally when we think of Mark Hamill, we think of him as Luke Skywalker, right? Or... Uh, the actor Luke the Skywalker. Theater, the actor in the dinner theater in that one Simpsons episode. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, he is playing the, uh, his... This is a character that, in a lot of ways, kind of makes the Joker look not so bad. Um, it may also come as a surprise to a few people out there, but never actually seen any of the animated Batman. Really? Yeah. Oh, man, you've got to check some of those out. They're so good. So I've heard. Um, I, I, no, I tell a lie. I did go and watch one episode because it was the origin of Harley Quinn. Okay, fair. But that's literally yeah, that's the, the only animated Batman that I've ever seen. Good, good stuff. Especially the stuff that Hamill voices. Just stay away from the the Killing Joke movie, which he does do the voice in uh, opposite opposite um, the guy who did all... God damn it, I can't believe I can't think of his name. Uh, passed away last year. Uh, I had to narrow it down. I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, uh, Kevin Conroy. 
Uh, everything that Conroy and Hamill did together as uh, as Batman and Joker were great, except for the killing joke, which is f- fucking terrible for for a couple of reasons. Um, but anyways, Scream Two, uh, uh, Fallout <laughs> House of the Usher. Um, so yeah, all of that is what would appeal to me on this show. Which is good, but it wasn't the question at hand. Anyway. What was the question? <laughs> what stood out to you about the... Oh, what stood out to me? The um, response that I theoretically... Yeah, what stood out to me? To explain, explain it without comparing it. I would say if I had to pick one thing, it would be... It would be Flanagan, honestly, for me. People can do. People can attempt to adapt Poe and do it poorly. It's been done many times. Um, people can remash and remix adaptations. It's been done many times poorly. Been done many times well. But Flanagan is what would instantly stand out to me, because if he does something, I'm going to be watching it, and I'm going to have good, high expectations for it. Hmm. It's like that's one of the the names that's just like, yeah, instant buy-in. Absolutely. At least for you, obviously. For me, yes. Names, yeah. Yes. What I was going to say before, but I obviously didn't want to interrupt because you were on a roll and I I like that, (laughs) Um, is that I know there's a guy, like I listened to on a podcast, different one, not this one. This one's much better in different ways. Um, Any movie he watches is a five uh-huh. star. It's five star. Doesn't matter if it was good, bad, or absolute garbage, because he knows it's hard to make a movie, and that's worth five stars. That's that is. I have very complicated feelings about <laughs> that because, yeah. on one hand, I agree, and any movie or TV show that gets completed is a goddamn miracle. And this day and age, especially this day and age, and this day and age completion doesn't necessarily mean you're anyone's ever gonna see it. Fuck you, Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, but by the same token, yes, I acknowledge that, and I am extremely appreciative of the work that cast and crew and writers and directors and producers and executive producers and cater everybody involved, visual effects people, everybody that's involved with the work, PR people, uh, so on and so forth, put into making a movie and trying to make it successful. That said, when you're judging the finished product, there has to be a scale. There ha- Like, there was... It's funny that you mentioned that because literally earlier today, I saw somebody um, who is a screenwriter who does have who does have his own podcast, um, who shared a screenshot of one of the trades. I'm not going to say which because I do not respect the writer who 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 wrote this particular column. Um, he's awful. He's the absolute worst. 
That's not true. He's probably bottom four. Um, anyways, as as a as a critic, as a as as a journalist. Um uh, but it was their worst movies of the year. And he said, stop doing these columns because do you know how hard it is to get a movie made? He's not wrong. By the and same also be token, bad movies made. there are bad movies made. And I feel like it is a disservice that, to the really, really exceptional ones that we pretend that um, just off the top of my head from this year, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, or the um, uh, Children of the Corn remake that came out this year are as good. And I, I'm not saying that he's saying they are as good, but are uh, uh, should be... <laughs> Talked about on the same level as something like uh, 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 Godzilla minus one, or um, Oppenheimer, or Barbie, or uh, 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 Suzume, um, uh, uh, Spider Man across the Spider Verse, like Killers of the Flower Moon. Like these are Quantum Mania. Man, I have <laughs> thoughts on that movie. I don't love it. I don't think it's as bad as some people made it out to be. But uh, When Evil Lurks, which is one of my favorite horror films of the year. Um, like, the the not to discount the fact that the people behind Children of the Corn also put in a lot of work. But they made a fucking horrible, nearly unwatchable movie. Same with, same with, 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 uh, Blood and Honey, which is objectively, even, even in that case, I would argue they didn't put in the same level of work as somebody like Christopher Nolan did with Oppenheimer. And I have critis criticisms of Christopher Nolan, don't get me wrong. Um, and the whole film bro culture that 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 is films often engender, but it's not the same level. And I'm sorry, you have to judge them differently. And I get the notion of maybe worst of columns punched down a little bit. That's not going to stop me from doing my worst of column this year um, or any year. Because I'm sorry, that stuff needs to, you have to be able to look at the good and bad of a film and be honest about it. And I, out of curiosity, I checked because I thought I'd seen it. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, 10th highest grossing movie of 2023. It was. Sadly, it was still financially unsuccessful. Mm. Uh, Elemental was number nine. Yes, it was. And that one actually was successful, I think. Um, when it's all said and done. This year is a weird year in terms of that sort of thing. Uh, I'm not going to get off on the box office tangent. I will just say budgets were sky high, and it's not because the studios were being were just throwing money at everything. 
a lot of this is 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 spillover from the pandemic um because a lot of these films had to be delayed mm. those delays cost ridiculous amounts of money that's why a movie like mission impossible the new the mission impossible movie was another one of the, that i feel like was one of the best of the year cost 300 million dollars to make as opposed to probably would have been closer to about 200 that's why the marvels cost 200 million dollars plus to make that's why ant-man and the wasp and why these movies ant-man and the wasp particularly has some fucking atrocious visual effects is also pandemic spillover but yeah. Anyways, I'm going to stop myself there before I go off on box office explanation because that's another hour in and of itself. I mean, speaking of, as we approach 50 minutes into the podcast, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, I think at this point we'll have a quick word from our sponsors. Cool. Thank you, sponsors. Man, you just really keep nailing those ad reads. I, I don't know what it is. It, I, I I am definitely going to buy every single one of those things. Uh, so I'll put you down for one star casino and one Australian army. Sure. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> ad inserts, man. <laughs> Abs. Yep. Uh. Question three, I yes. was going to ask, but I think we can skip it as it's what got you to give it a chance in the first place? Well, there we go. Yeah, I kind of already covered this. I was when 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 really quick to recap because you might have forgotten already because we've been belly so much. Um, when I heard Mike Flanagan was interested or was involved in it, I was extremely interested. Uh, when I heard it was uh, a remix of Poe stuff, I was I was even more interested. When I heard the cast, I was super interested. Um, and then when I got the chance to screen it, I was like, gimme, 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 gimme. And even since then, I've watched it another three times or two or three times. So, yeah. Yeah. So Quick uh, answer. Yeah. For once. <laughs> so I, I guess um, you're uh, a cheap date. Is that what you're saying? I would say that I am easy, but not cheap. Hmm. Fair. You know, you just uh, have the the proper descriptors put out there. Into, yes. Into the public eye. It's important to be specific about these kinds of things. Hmm. Uh, question four. For some people, a sense of community and like-mindedness are integral to their enjoyment of something. To your knowledge, is there a community around the fall of the House of Usher that you're aware of? And if so, what are they like? Uh, um, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, it's kind of weird to say, almost in the modern era. Yes, the horror community that I have seen, not everybody, but by and large has been very appreciative of this. And when it came out, and this is something that's been that that's been increasingly prominent the last the last uh, couple years in particular is when something comes out, particularly something on a streaming service uh, that is that is horror uh, uh, related, and it is up for longer than two weeks, and is up for longer than two weeks. Yes, um, actually, not even that. 
the what happens is when it comes out, it dominates social media. At least if you are dialed into that community. Like if you are part of the horror community uh, uh, on on Twitter, it will never be X, it's always Twitter, uh, or, or Blue Sky, or Threads, or Mastodon, wherever you might be, Letterboxd, um, the, the, the community rallies around this and talks about it and argues and tears itself apart because that's what we love to do as fans and I hate it. But the, there, there is this huge discussion around it to the point that it does become sort of a community event. So for, for the horror community, every time there's this new release that, that, that comes out, it will bring us all together from the, the rest of the, the rest of the, the, the time when we're just discussing whatever horror we're, we're watching at that time. Um, individually, we all come together to talk about it, uh, argue incessantly, uh, for a very, very intense, uh, 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 short period of time. And then things will settle down a bit and it'll pop back up and it'll so on and so forth. So there is very much a community aspect to the genre at this point. Uh, and this happens with theater, with theatrical releases as well. Uh, if they are, if they are particularly buzzy ones, like one that came out this year that I think captured that, a couple that came out this year that captured that that really well. Uh, Talk to me, which is an Australian full, uh, uh, film that hit really big here in the U.S. is released by A twenty four. Um, that is very very good. It's one of it also is one of my my favorites of the year. Uh, uh, Scream 6 did that a lot. Uh, Scream always does that. Um, we'll see if that's the case going forward with particular developments, but mm. um, uh, uh, When Evil Lurks did a little bit, although that was a streaming release. Um, no, actually, I think it was theatrical first, but in very limited amount. Uh, Saw 10 or Saw X, if you prefer, did that. Um, Skinamarink. Uh, the Outwaters a little bit. Megan, Megan was huge for that at the start of the year. Uh, so you you do see this happen pretty much. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier, and it tends to be a lot more intense when it's a streaming release because democratization of access, right? Yeah. So, it's, you, like, not like um, I think we're still waiting on a couple of movies that have come out. 10 years ago to be released here in Australia? I'm certain that you are. By the same token, I would be willing to bet that you have access to films that are really hard for us to find. That the, that the hardcore horror hounds are uh, like um, Housebound. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. No. I'm familiar with being house trained. I Fair enough. <laughs> it is a 2014 horror comedy by the guy who directed Megan. Megan was his second film. Came out this year after after this one. Um and it has been it has been very uh Gerard Johnstone. It has been very hard to find it here. Um 
There's a couple others that I can't think of. There are a couple that were off of. I managed to see them finally because they were on a a, a full core box set that I picked up um, a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm I'm gonna have to because I don't remember what the names of them are. Um, I enjoyed them both, but uh, Allison's birthday, I think, is one of them. And I, I did just check it out. Um, the housebound is on SBS on demand. There you go. <laughs> and we we finally just recently got it here because I was able to see it. We got it here again. It pops back and forth on on streaming services. You know how that goes. Um, the other one was starts with a K. Uh, uh, doesn't matter. Anyways, the point is, um, oh, Kadaicha. Um, but yeah, anyways, so there is very much a community around, just not specifically around this, like there isn't a group of people who get together to talk about it like on a monthly basis or anything like, like you would expect from something like Buffy or Rocky, uh, Horror. Rocky Horror, the MCU. Not in those ways. Granted, the show is only two months old, but there is a community around it in that the horror community as a, as a whole online. Mm. And I mean, um, that's, that's not even a guarantee as well. It's uh, because no. I'm, I'm sure it's just like, it, oh, yeah, this will do well. Oh, it didn't do well. Oh, well, at least it'll be popular within the that sort of uh, cult classic sort of community. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, huh. Yeah, it doesn't always happen. And sometimes, to be fair, sometimes if it's not popular, it still becomes a community event. Um, I will point to last year's Texas Chainsaw Massacre film that came on Netflix, which is not a good movie. It has some good scenes in it, but it's not a good movie. But people were at each other's fucking throats over that movie. People were calling it the worst thing they'd ever seen in their lives, and people were defending it, and so on and so forth. Um, so even if it's a bad movie, horror fans will 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 take any any opportunity to talk horror i would also say and i don't know for sure that this is the case um but i do know a lot of people that i uh that have a specific subset of horror fans uh specifically queer horror fans flanagan's films first of all there's a very strong uh uh um a queer population within the horror genre, uh, within the horror community. Um, Cause they don't get enough of it in real life. I mean, yeah, a little bit, but like, because of catharsis, that's a whole thing that again, I, we could go off on, on how queer people tend to identify with the monsters in horror films for a number of reasons. Um, they understand what it's like to be othered. Um, uh, a lot of times, wh- horror monsters were used to represent uh, 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 that sort of otherness that demonized queer people. Um, let's be honest, the, the, the monsters in horror films tend to, um, and a lot of times, uh, 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 
lean into camp or lean into a very sort of, especially if it's a female villain, leans into that sort of bitchy, like, a uh, 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 queenness that we love. Uh, so, so queer horror, I, I tend to see that, and obviously this isn't the case for everybody. You and I both know a lot of people who, uh, a lot of queer people are very much not fans of horror. But I tend to find a lot of, a lot of people within the community do gravitate towards horror and this show is queer as fuck. A good... I thought it was Fall of the House of Usher. I, I mean... Could almost be the subtitle. It's what I'm saying. Of the six children, four of them are queer in some way. Um, uh, uh, August, the, 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 um, uh, the district attorney, is a gay black man. Um, there is a lot of that stuff that very much appeals that I mentioned. Um, I won't say it's camp, but there are characters delivering very uh, 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 meaty, sort of bitchy performances. Um, it has queer representation behind the scenes. Kate Siegel, Mike Flanagan's wife, who plays one of the children, Camille, is bisexual. Um, it's really good in terms of representation to the point that one of the things that you rarely see, and this is this this is not involving queerness, this is just representation in general. Uh, one of the characters, um, uh, 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 Juno, who is Roderick's, um, there's no other way to put it, basically trophy wife. Uh, much younger, etc., is um, within the story um, is somebody who was uh, uh, sort of a user of ligadone, which is the opioid that that the family is is well known for. And he met her on when she was after a, a, a terrible accident. And she was using the using the drug. They ended up getting married. Uh, Ruth Codd, who plays Juno, is a disabled person. She had her leg amputated, and so for once, it is a person with a disability being played by a person with a disability. Yeah, and which is on... so good. And on that, is it like? where that is a major point of the character or is it just like, yeah, no, it, it's, it's there, whatever deal. With I it. mean, it's part of the backstory because Juno got into a car accident and lost her leg. Yeah. Um, but it is not, it is not the defining trait of her, of her, her, uh, her, her character or her arc, her, the defining trait of her. I would say there's not one defining trait, but, Sort of the the um, the top down view of that character, if you had to describe it in a casting blurb, is a a a, a, a ligadone Roderick's ligadone addicted trophy wife. Yeah, it's like what would you put on the brief? Uh, yeah, sending out to the the actors agents. It's like yeah, we're yeah. looking for someone who could play this character 
you yep. wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily include amputee. No, you you wouldn't necessarily. But in this case, and in fairness, he may have written this role for her because she was in. She is also another person who's appeared. She appeared in Midnight Club. Um. That was actually, I believe, her first acting role. She became well-known on TikTok. And then from that, Flanagan cast her in Midnight Club and then cast her in this. Um, and and she... It is a rare example because you see a, a lot of the time you will see disabled people, people of different body types that you don't that is not typical of what you see in Hollywood you will have able-bodied people or you will have classically fit people playing those roles right you will see Eddie Murphy will put on a fat suit or uh, uh Brennan Fraser don't get me wrong Brennan Fraser was fantastic in the whale but he did wear a he did wear a fat suit to make himself look six hundred pounds. Um, that's what you will that's what you will tend to see from Hollywood, as opposed to, or you will see somebody. the The worst example I can think of is um, a movie called Music from a couple of years ago that was uh, uh, written and directed by Sia, the pop star. That had a neurotypical person playing a nonverbal autistic character. And it was yeah. one of the most offensive things that I've seen on film. Which, I, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot smarter people than me out there who have already written the essays of why it seems to be that horror as a genre is more accepting of uh, other people mm-hmm. rather than what sells yes so those are out there please use your internet browser that uh, hopefully isn't google because yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) uh question five there are many aspects of media that resonate differently with different people what was your favorite part ah um I would say single favorite part. I'm going to go with like, there's so much that's good in this. There's uh, if that has not been made clear for the last, I don't know, hour or whatever it is. Um, Like there's so much that's good in this. It, it captures the, uh, the, 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 this granguinal style of 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 gore and the 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 performances are 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 are, are truly glorious uh and the the character study stuff is great if i ha- i'm going to be i'm going to kill my darlings here a little bit and i'm going to pick one specific scene so Based on how I've described it, I don't think it's a spoiler to say you see the deaths of all of the children. Mm-hmm. That kind of sounds the, like the buy-in. 
Yes. The first that you see. This might be vaguely spoilerly, but it's also it's. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna reveal the manner of death. But so there are eight episodes. The second and the seventh, the second through the seventh episodes, all feature one of the kids' deaths. And you learn in that first two minutes and thirty seconds the dates upon which they died. So you know the order of the deaths already. That all out there, I am comfortable with saying that the second episode features the youngest character, Prospero, Perry, his death. His death scene. There are Two moments this year on in film or television that, in terms of horror, I will say, that truly dropped my jaw in the point that I audibly gasped when I was watching them. One of them takes place in Evil Never, uh, When Evil Lurks. One of them takes place in this show... And it is Prospero's death scene. Because it is the point that if even if you are not familiar with, with Mike Flanagan, even if you are familiar with Mike Flanagan, because one thing that is an element, a core element of Flanagan's works is, is he, does he get in, is he, is he a filmmaker primarily of horror? Yes, Absolutely. But I refer to his stuff, and I took this. This is not my. This is not an original from me. I took this phrase from I either Trace Thurman or Joe Lipset from the Horror Queers podcast. Um, Flanagan is horror with heart. In that, yes, it is horror. Yes, the things that happen are supernatural genre stuff. And there is some really scary, unnerving stuff that happens in them. But they always have this deep emotional core that I think kind of softens the horror a little bit. That when I think of when I think of Haunting of Hill House, I don't think of the most horrific elements first. Yes, that stuff is there. Uh, the, the, the crooked neck man and, and, and some other stuff that goes on within that store, within that show. Um, but I think of the family dynamics of that show and I think of the tragedy within that show. Same thing with, with Bly Manor. When I think of Dr. Sleep, there are some really terrifying stuff that happens in that, in that movie. But what really catches me is the emotional core between Danny, played by by Ewan McGregor, and Abra, who is the uh, a, a young kid who has the shining, uh, played by 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 uh, Kylie Curran, who coincidentally is in this show playing Lenore, the, the the youngest member of the Usher family, who is the only positive member of this family, the only truly good member of the family. Um. Follow the House of Usher does have some of that elements. Like 
these are not good characters and you have to be okay with watching a show about truly awful people. But it still also gets to the emotional core of these characters and it makes you empathize with them. That said, this is a very... It doesn't hold anything back. And Perry's death is the moment where you're like, oh, Flanagan's out. Flanagan isn't fucking around here. Like, Hmm. you are going to see some really, really... He doesn't hold anything back. And Prospero's death isn't even... I would say it's not even the... Mm. Like how it's not final destination most... does it get? It's I want to say it's not the most gory like in terms of like viscera and like blood and violence and things like that. But it is tactile in a way and also it is the fact that I don't know if this will be the case for everybody, but you see, you kind of see where it's going to be coming from to a degree. If you're picking up on, on what the, what the episode is laying down, but I didn't realize what was about to happen until the last moment. So each of the deaths happens in kind of a certain format. The characters sort of, through their own actions, kind of set up the events to come. Not intentionally. Mm. But through their actions, they cause sequences of events to occur. In each of these sequences, Verna, Carla Gugino's character, uh, shows up in some role and gives them the opportunity to back out of it. And then they don't. And then what happens, happens. And in this case, so this is your first of the deaths. So you see Verna show up. You see her give Perry his chance. And he leaves. And at that point, you have enough information already easily to go, oh, Prospero, you're fucked. And you might know kind of what's going to happen, but it still doesn't prepare you. And then it happens. And it's not like, like I said, there aren't guts flying everywhere and things like, and that sort of thing. But the implications of what happens. And then you see the aftermath and it is fucking horrifying. And that moment is probably the one. It's not the most heart wrenching moment in the show. And it's not again, the most violent or the most outwardly bloody moment of the show. Would you say that it might be the most affective Yes, I would say it is the most effective because that point you're kind of prepared and Flanagan kind of eases off the gas for the rest of them a little Mm. bit. 
And I mean, just to clarify, affective with an A, not effective with an E. Correct. Correct. Just making sure. Yeah. No, they're all very effective, effective, but it's the most affecting for sure. Uh, And at that point, Flanagan, because he can. Like the stuff that happens after is more emotionally upsetting because we've had time to get to know these characters more. And while, sure, they're terrible characters, you almost want to root for them in a way. Mm -hmm. Even knowing that they're all going to die. Like, we already know this, but maybe it won't be as bad for them. It's it's, So, yeah, it, it sets the stage for what's to come. And holy shit. Yeah, I am definitely a lot more confident in my two recommendations to you. Fair enough, fair enough. I will yes, I will definitely be looking for those. Yeah, just like the last like uh, what 10 15 minutes it's just like right. oh, yeah, I I've nailed it. But let's see where nice. it goes. <laughs> nice. I will be, I'll, I will report back. Excellent. Maybe we could do a host swap episode. <laughs> sure. Actually, all right. There's one other thing that I want to highlight. I know it doesn't, it's a little bit cheap, but there's, uh, the, maybe I, no, no, maybe some, I can find a, a way to fit in into one of the other things. I know how I'll fit into one of the other things. Go ahead. <laughs> All righty. Uh, question six, following on from the previous question, what do you think would appeal most to the general public? <sighs> I think it is very, it is very good at making you, like I have said, feel for these characters. I think the initial, ca- uh, uh, I think the initial hook is going to be the topicality. Like, it's not hard to. It is not an. It is not a a stretch to say that. Uh, Potentially watching the fall of a very powerful uh, 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 captain of industry family, who are responsible for the uh, who are responsible for contributing within this f- scope of this world. They're not. They're not. <clears throat> let me rephrase. They're technically not based on a real family. Um, cough, cough, Sackler, cough, cough. Um, but is something that I think a lot of people would like to see. And like, it's not the first show to have tackled this. There's dope sick, which is basically a dramatization of the Sackler family who are very much a a family that is responsible in America, at least for the opioid epidemic. Um, uh, There are shows like uh, the dropout, which is about the, um, What's her name? The 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 uh, Elizabeth, the doctor who was uh, 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 said that she had invented a blood testing. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes, who 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 founded the company Theranos, who claimed to be claimed to have invented a machine that would allow make blood testing. 
more comprehensive, uh, which was all a fraud. Uh, just two examples of very popular shows that came out and celebrated shows that came out uh, that touch on this sort of topic. I think that would be the initial appeal. And then once it got you in, it's going to be it's going to be the performances and it's going to be, be the way that these characters bounce off of each other. Because, again, they're terrible. They are the worst people and they couple of them only get worse as it goes on but he's able to do it in a way that you understand why they're terrible and even if you hate them you want to see them either play off of each other and rip each other apart metaphorically or get ripped apart literally Mm. I mean, there's a reason Seinfeld and Always Sunny in Philadelphia do so well. I mean, absolutely. And why, like, I'm Breaking Bad. The perfect example. We like shows about awful people. Because they're interesting. Yeah. And it it almost has like that like kind of control element. Where mm-hmm. It's like you know everyone encounters awful people all the time every day. These are that sort of removed from reality yep. in a way that it's just like okay, it's not actually affecting me. I can let loose a little bit. Yeah, it's very cathartic. I think that uh, to, that to is what I was thinking things. of. Because yeah, words. yeah, no, for sure. Um, it's cathartic and it's, look, if, we always talk about in, in the horror genre, if characters made the right decisions, we wouldn't have a movie, right? If yeah. in a slasher film, the characters didn't go out, if, if, um, uh, uh, Ash, Ash and his friends didn't go out to the cabin in the woods there would be no evil dead. If people didn't keep trying to stop, make crystal Lake happen, then Jason would be just sitting there real bored. Roasting marshmallows. Maybe. I don't know. There wouldn't be much of a movie. It's the point. Yeah, um, if they sent Freddy Krueger to a fair trial, rather than, you know, yep. background alley, alleyway murder. Well, in that case, we would probably get Shocker, which is uh, Wes Craven's slasher film about a convict who is sent to the electric care- chair who gets electrocuted, but due to a mishap, ends up becoming a ghost. But as, still. As you do. Yeah, as you do. Um, but yeah, see, it, it's, and I always use this, this is the explanation I always use, and I realize that it is not, it is not 100%. There are a number of very interesting stories about Superman, but the reason Marvel appeals to people on the whole over DC is because Marvel's characters are traditionally, as the stereotype, the the flawed characters, the more human characters, where DC's characters are the paragons. Paragons are boring. They always make the decisions you know they're going to make. 
It doesn't make result in the interesting, the more interesting moral conflicts. You have DC's characters work when there is an external influence providing, forcing that character into interesting situations. It's why DC's DC a lot of times DC's villains are more interesting than their heroes, or their 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 heroes are great and iconic. When they have good rogues galleries, um, where on on the Marvel side, I'm not saying that Marvel doesn't have great villains because a lot of times they do, but you think of the Avengers. For the people that the Avengers comic book characters are interesting for, they're interesting because of the characters. Avengers villains are fucking awful. They're Kang. They're, um, okay, Loki's interesting, but he became interesting as a Thor character, not as a, an Avengers character. They're Ultron. They're, um, uh, the, 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 the masters of evil. Like, not interesting characters in and of themselves. The X-Men are the exception because they have, granted, they have some horrible villains too, but they have great heroes and great villains. And that's why they're the best. See, I, I think X-Men benefits from having uh, flashier power sets. That as well. Um, they have more interesting power sets, but they also have the benefit of having been written by 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 some truly great writers over the years, like Chris Claremont, who was able, Claremont was interested in, in exploring the shades of gray of all the characters. He wanted to see, he wanted Magneto to be more than just a ha ha, homo superior, blah, blah, blah. Xavier, you suck. He wanted to, to, to explore what it meant to be a character created by, uh, uh, of an oppressed uh, uh, and marginalized culture, both in terms of mutant and 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 Judaism, um, who who was created by Trump, and he actually wanted to explore where, frankly, look, we love Stanley, but Stanley was not interested in the mutant metaphor at first, like. The X-Men in their initial books were actually kind of liked by the people around them. It wasn't until uh, 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 Claremont took them out. Well, not just Claremont, uh, 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 Roy Thomas a little bit as well, and, and Len Wein, uh, and, and, and some of the other guys. But Claremont really took up the idea of the mutant metaphor, as imperfect as it is, and, and ran with it. And then on the other side of things, you got Professor X going around erasing Mahogany Boy from existence that no one ever remembered, uh, and telling Thor to fist his own asshole. I don't remember that one. That was a fun time. <laughs> Is that an ultimate thing? That sounds like an ultimate thing. Yeah. What if Professor X ran the Avengers? Ah, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, anyways. Scream 2. Scream 2. Um, 
Question seven. Say that I do yes. end up enjoying enjoying this because of your excellent recommendation. What would be your number one follow-up? Doesn't necessarily have to be a sequel or anything, but where would I turn to if I wanted more of the same? So I would rec ooh, this is interesting. Uh, I should have thought of this beforehand. I did not I thought of the first few questions and then and and then decided I wanted to I want to come in the rest of them fresh. But without without thinking of what 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 the questions were. But I would give two two separate things. If you like the ponus of it all, I would recommend the Roger Corman uh, uh, directed um, uh, 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 Poe stuff. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm trying to remember the names of all the titles now. Um, I know he did Pit in the Pendulum. Um, they all starred Vincent Price. Um, Mask of the Red Death, uh, Tomb of Lygia, um, I think, uh, The Raven, duh. Um, and so on, because they are probably the best, uh, 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 adaptations of Poe's work. Aside from this, there are other good adaptations of poor work, but the, the, that is where I go. They are different, very different in tone, um, and they are more straight adaptations. But but they're a lot of fun. They're very nineteen sixties. Roger Corman was a bit more of an exploitation director, so they are cheaper. But 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 they're a lot of fun. In terms of this tone and this kind of thing, I would recommend. I am, mm, I'm torn between Doctor Sleep and Haunting of Hill House, but I'm going to say The Haunting of Hill House, which is also on Netflix. It is, I want to say, a, nine or ten episodes, where this is eight episodes. So it's still not a long series. It is a self-contained story, exactly like this. Um, and it is an adaptation of Shirley Jackson's. Shirley Jackson? Oh, I'm going to lose all my horror cred. I think it's Shirley Jackson. I should say I remember this is it's like 1.30 in the morning for me. So um Yeah, Shirley Jackson. Okay. Uh the Shirley Jackson novel. Using a lot of the same cast members. Kate Siegel is in this, uh Carla Gugino is in this, uh uh, uh Timothy uh, or Henry Thomas is in this. Um and it, it, it it explores a lot of the same family dynamic, like complicated family dynamics, I should say, with much more sympathetic characters. Um, but also still very complicated, uh, and, and and it's still horror, but it is horror in a like I said, it's horror with heart, in that. It is, it, it, it's a little more outwardly, a little less outwardly bloody and violent and a little more uh, a, a tragic horror, I would say. And it's, it's a ghost story. So, so, so it, it, it's kind of jumping back and forth again. It does sort of the same time stuff, but it's, it's looking at, uh, uh, 
trauma and being haunted by your past and and that sort of thing. It is fantastic. It's probably my second favorite Flanagan uh, project, um, and is just 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 wonderfully done. Cool. Uh... Definitely. Well, from the sound of it, I think that's. I'm just going to add those to the list already. Nice. Uh, question eight. Sometimes our engagement with a piece of media comes from a position of relativity. Did you have a character that you related to, and if so, what drew you to them? There's not a character I relate to in this show. Not specifically, um, <clears throat> because again, they're all horrible people. Yeah, just. And I'm like, not saying that I don't. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying that I don't have my flaws. I do, but like, I nothing even close to these people. Just live but on there, air, admitting to all your crimes. Yes, yes, I have, I have definitely killed many people and um, uh, 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 foisted highly addictive drugs onto people and committed serious financial crimes and um, uh, uh, uh. Uh, committed uh, a flagrant violation of animal testing protocols. That is something that I should say as a content warning on this. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I've I've read some of the comments you get on four one one. It's like, yeah, no, I'd believe it. <laughs> I, as a content warning, I, I look in horror. You're getting what you're getting, right? You shouldn't go into horror expecting that it's going to be blood free or anything like that. But there are instances of animal violence in this sh in this show. So people should know that because I know that can be extremely upsetting to people. I don't think it is insanely graphic. It is not and the animals get theirs get get their revenge in the end anyways, but there is there is violence inflicted upon a cat, and there is violence inflicted on chimpanzees. So, that should be a thing people should know. Anyways, uh, I would say they're the character that I most uh, connected with. Uh, this is hard, because there are two characters in particular who give... Such wonderful performances. And they are... I am a sucker for a... And I say this in the most complimentary of terms. I am a sucker for a good, just badass bitch. Um... The um, the final girl, the uh, Gail Weathers, when we're talking about Scream, um, the 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 um, I mean, any of those kinds of you, you know the kinds of characters that I'm talking about here. Yeah, and there are two that really hit. Uh, there are three. There are now oh, there are like twelve, but there are there are. Two that I really, really loved. Uh, Camille, who is played by Kate Siegel, who she's kind of the PR PR wing of the family. And she has such Kate Siegel plays her 
with such a gloriously snappy, bitchy sort of attitude that I adored her from the start. Like, the first scene that we see most of these characters beyond a quick uh, a quick shot of them all in court um, is a scene where Roderick has gathered the whole family together because uh, uh, the DA, uh, uh, August, has insinuated, has not insinuated, has said flat out in court that he has a mole within the family or informant within the family, uh, which shocks the family because that would be the one thing that could really bring them down. And so Roderick calls the family together and is getting them to sign a new NDA and basically sicking them on each other. Find out who the mole is. You get $50 million. And as they're going through the NDA, I don't even remember the specific line that she says. Um, but it's something to the effect of, we really should do more. Like, they're going through uh, the, the, the vaguely discussing the NDA. And how um, I think Madeline says something about how uh, 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 the the repercussions are like you will be dead essentially without not not necessarily dead like physically dead but maybe and Camille says something effective we really should get we we really should get to do these more often it's not it, they're they're so delightful and it's the way that she just snaps it off that is beautiful i say that and she's my second pick my first pick is verna which is carla Gugino, I, carla's character um who is the probably supernatural woman who is connected to, it's very clear early on, I'll be frank, that she has, has some supernatural element to her that is connected to the family somehow and is connected to the character's death somehow. Because Verna is able to rattle off. She, Mike Flanagan knows how to write for this actress in wonderful ways. And she is able to, to, to give these wonderful dial uh, monologues and bounce off of these characters in beautiful, beautiful ways. Uh, that, that is as much as you feel for these characters. Uh, and, and Verna is sort of a part of that because she definitely feels bad or, or expresses that she feels bad for each character she brings apart brings uh, 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 about their downfall, with one exception, understandable. Um, but she is able to make you see both sides of these characters, the good and the bad, just instantly. She's the most intriguing of the characters. She's the person who knows what's going on all the time. And she just... It's partially the performance, it's partially the writing, and it's partially the chemistry she has with everybody. Um, I love that character, and I would love. I don't. I don't think there is going to be any kind of spinoff because it wouldn't make sense. 
Flanagan has now left Netflix and is now working for Amazon. Or, or is under a deal with Amazon to develop stuff for them, I should say. doesn't work for them. Um, but I would not mind seeing a spinoff where Verna goes and finds another family. And it would make sense within the story. So that would be the character that I most not relate to, but uh, uh, found appealing. Yeah, just the the cycles renew because yes. always cycles. Yes, absolutely. And so, question nine: a lot of yep. these types of interviews rely on the question of what would you bring with you to a desert island in order to get to know a person. But that's not this show. What we ask instead is to picture this following scenario: you're on a deserted island with no hope of rescue, but food, water, shelter and everything such as that has been taken care of so that you won't succumb before your natural time. You've always also been provided with a single piece of media and the means to engage with it, and for you it is the fall of the House of Usher. How frequently would you utilise it, and how long would it take for you to be sick of it? Now this one I did think of, I couldn't help but because it is kind of the ultimate question, right? Um monthly and i don't think i could get tired of it hmm. so because would more frequently make it make that a possibility maybe but here's the thing about this show there is there is so much to pick up and new stuff that you can discover and there are always things like it's much like other stuff in that they're still the main stuff for me to appreciate, right? But there are so many Poe Easter eggs and so many references and so much stuff that's in the background. There is always something new, I think, that you can pick up from this show. Um, I don't. I think it would take a very, very long time for me to 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 uh, get sick of it. Just as an example. There is, so I want to say this is probably in episode three. Uh, this is part of the bookending and interspersed uh, Roderick talking with, with August, Augie, about, uh, about what happened. The, 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 the sort of framing structure, so to speak. And at one point... Um, I don't remember who, I should remember, I watched it literally three days ago, but I don't remember specifically who, 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 who says this and brings up, but you know, the saying, if life makes you lemon, brings you lemons, make lemonade, right? Uh, amongst a few other variations. Yes. Yes. So I, yes, uh, 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 Roderick says it. Roger says, if life makes you lemons, and Augie says, you make lemonade. And Roderick sighs and says, no. And I'm not going to, I'm, there's a whole monologue here. I'm not going to say the whole monologue. I'm going to summarize. I'm, I'm going to start a little bit. I'm going to summarize. Because my point here with this, with this monologue, this whole monologue 
with Saf I could enjoy this monologue repeatedly just this for a long time because he said he he starts off with like no first you ought to roll out a multimedia campaign to ex convince people lemons are incredibly scarce which only works if you stockpile the lemons control the supply then a media blitz lemon is the only way to say i love you the must-have accessory for engagements and anniversaries roses are out lemons are in billboards that say she won't have sex with you unless you got lemons and he proceeds to go on and go on this monologue probably goes for the, the this speech i won't even say it's a monologue goes for probably a good minute and a half and he talks about how um you know you market it you 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 overprice it you get it as a hashtag you get people talking about it you charge more for organic lemons you charge even more than that for conflict free, free lemons you go on so on and for, so forth and that was just the, the, the very last like and then when you're done and you've sold your lempire for a few billion dollars, then and only then you make some fucking lemonade. And it is just one of the most glorious monologues. And the way Bruce Greenwood delivers it is just top notch. It is amazing to me, particularly because he was a recast in the middle of the production of the show. They originally had um, uh, uh, Frank. Hold on just a second. Uh, Frank. It's going to drive me insane otherwise. That's what I say. Because I know what uh, Frank Langella uh, 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 set to play the role. And. They were in the middle of production, and an actress, who, uh, one of the one of the cast members, uh, f uh, 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 made a complaint about him being sexually inappropriate during scenes. They did an investigation. They fired him based on it. Good for you, Netflix. And they recast the role. And he had to he had to get in care like midway through that. Obviously, had to refilm all of his stuff. He delivers this performance as if it was written for him. And there are enough of just those kinds of monologues in this show that they alone I I could consciously like ignore the references, all the Poe references, and just focus on the monologues and enjoy those. That would last me a while. I could switch off to the, and, 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 and focus on the, on the references. And that would last me a good while. And I feel like I could cycle through that stuff so that eventually I wouldn't be sick of the monologues at, 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 at a point. And I could go back and, I really do feel like this show could be indefinite for me. See that? I, like I've mentioned it before that even yeah, here, it's just like that always fascinates me because of how little I can cope with um, repeats. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's fair. And I'm not saying that this would, that this would necessarily change that for you. 
but I do find that it is easier when there is a lot of good stuff that a lot of good stuff, not just good stuff, because like a long thing, a long, a long movie can have a number of good things in it and you can still get tired because it's all good writing or it's all good performances, whatever. If there are a number of different levels that you can watch it at, I feel like that helps. And I think this accomplishes that really well. For me, at least. Hmm. Sam. Cool. Uh, Well, that's all the questions I had, so thank you for indulging me. Absolutely. Always happy to. So, because we already had the sponsor break, uh, maybe erroneously early. (laughs) (laughs) That's all good. Uh, So it's now time for me to ruin the show, so up yours. (laughs) Have fun. Uh, I have a follow-up review from the last episode's enemy of the show and self-proclaimed shelf profaner, Sean, and his recommendation of A Prince Among Thieves. Is this something that you're familiar with? It is not, actually. So this is, uh, I think he said it is the 1999 uh, hip hopper in his exact words. Ooh, Okay. Uh, it, it's a concept album, like The Wall or like things like that. Right. But it, rap in hip-hop based. Okay. Uh, tells the story of uh, like an up-and-coming rapper who's trying to gain money to put a demo tape to like the Wu-Tang Clan. And Nice. I'm interested. As you may or may not expect from the word opera, it goes perfectly well. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, so what makes it interesting is it's not just music for the entire album. It's uh, like on and off with like the skits or the interludes in between it. Mm-hmm. So technically there are 35 songs on the album. And, right. Uh, 73 minutes. Right. Uh, 10 of those are actual songs. Mm-hmm. But it's like it, it connects. It tells the story. It you know you you start following who's playing who because a lot of people sound alike when they're trying yeah. to do raps, right? And it feels like every every song or every break is a change in the style. Mm-hmm. So it it is that fairly sort of uh, late eighties nineties era hip hop sound. Right. Like, are you talking about like, um, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, uh, like Run DMC or like gangster rap? Not quite gangster rap. It's like, okay, it it would not be out of place on the San Andreas soundtrack, for example. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I mean, there's violin sections. There's a jazz number, right? Mixed in with all this. Ooh, I love a I love a good hip hop fusion. It for me, it's like th- this isn't my type of music to begin with. Fair. Uh, it feels like it kind of went on a bit too long. Okay. Like, in telling the story, it's like you could. By and large, probably get rid of the interludes and still have the story be what it is. 
That is fair. The, though it does add to it. Um, and it's just like, I don't know, some people on the album maybe you should have been replaced. Okay. I, I was curious. Do you know who the, do you know any of the cast member names? Uh, Chris like, Rock the, is in there. Chris Rock. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, Prince Paul is the, uh, the producer on the album. Uh, okay. But it, he's um, more notably like a backstage kind of guy. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, looking it up because I had to look up information because I did. Right. Uh, De La Soul. Okay. I know De La Soul. Yeah. He was the producer. Okay. And it basically is a decently big name behind the scenes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see if I can find. I'm looking it up now. Oh. Because, yeah, uh, a lot of. Like... Bismarcky. Mm. Uh, Riza. Uh, it was even mentioned in the last episode. There were a couple of big names that were going to become in, becoming in, mm-hmm. and then not. It, that didn't quite turn out. So a lot of them are, a lot of the people are like up and coming sort of newer yep. names that may have gone on to do more or better things after this or not. I do recognize, I do recognize some names. I am, I, 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 I like hip hop a lot. Um, again, I am hardly a scholar in, in the genre I like to think I'm moderately well informed due to the fact that we used to have a music section. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, Big Daddy Kane, I know, Bismarcky, De La Soul, Everlast, Exhibit, Riza, Buckshot, I think I know. Yeah. But yeah, interesting. So, like, the story itself is fairly cliche, but it does throw a couple of twists in there to kind of keep you invested Mm -hmm. Uh, even if it's still predictable and it's like yeah you could have cut back a bit so it's like it was fine it's not something i would have gone out of my way to experience and right like after the after this it's like "Eh, yeah it's okay it's fine i've experienced it now fair enough so i think if I'm generous, it's a two out of five. I think it's closer to a one and a half for me. Okay. But that that's just my personal tastes. Right. Yeah. Everyone is allowed to like what they like and you. no one should feel pressured into having to conform or um, to have to go out and defend or attack someone without the same tastes. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but that's that section. So before we wrap up this, the final ever episode of Check This Out for this recording session and 28th time I've made that joke, uh, would you like to tell the audience where they might find you online and or if you have anything to advertise? Yeah, you can find me. I am. You can find my daily writing work, which is mostly wrestling news and movie news and uh, 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 coverage and reviews of WWNXT on Tuesdays uh, and, and such uh, at 411mania.com. 
Uh, I do a weekly box office report as well. Uh, I will, I do, do do film reviews there and television show reviews. Um, particularly when Fantasia Film Festival and Fantastic Fest come around, I've been able, I've been fortunate enough to be able to cover both of those remotely. Um, uh, two, uh, two out of the last three years. Uh, you can find, if you want to try and find me on social media, I am jthomas411mania on the hellscape known as Twitter. Uh, again, always Twitter, never X. Uh, I am also that on Instagram, Blue Sky Threads. Uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Letterboxd, which is a, a film review social media site. Honestly, most of my film reviews end up getting posted there because they end up being more capsule reviews than anything else, and they're just what I watched at the time. Uh, and then uh, you can find me usually getting killed or joking about getting killed on Final Show Films uh, actual plays. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, some Saturdays. Although those aren't act, those aren't streamed, um, and Mondays, where I tend to play a lot of uh, 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 changelings and uh, uh, other such weird, strange creatures. Often they're drag queens. <laughs> uh Cool. And for the other side of it, because I've realized that we should be doing this more, uh, you can find me at shards at kind.social on Mastodon. And you could find this podcast at check this out at mastodon.art uh, because uh, the hell site was too much hell. I mean, that's fair. Too much hell, I am... n- not enough site. I am on the fucking ver- Like, I'll be honest, if I did, if it wasn't for the fact that. Our primary social media for 411 and, and where we have the 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 biggest following and following equals traffic and traffic equals business. Yeah. Um was Twitter. I would have deleted my I would have deleted my Twitter account by now and probably gone fully over to uh, well Threads Blue Sky and Mastodon, which and then waited to see which one finally turns out the victor in the social media wars. Say, I still have a Twitter account that only, like, it's locked, it's deleted everything, because I do not trust people to not reactivate the name if I deleted it, and then use that for nefarious purposes. Oh, legit. Absolutely legit. Not that I'm any sort of credible person to steal from, but... No, but it's the principle of the matter. Yeah. Or superintendent, if you prefer. Yeah. And on that note, I've been L. I've been Jeremy. And this has been Check This Out, a podcast of media positivity. And remember, we can burn the bridges that flock together. <laughs>